I think that's one of the most important things to leadership is leadership cannot be done out of a posture of self-preservation. You have to lead based off what is right, not what is convenient. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Handbook, your guide to life, leadership, and health. I am your host, Gene Reed. And if you haven't already, I just ask you to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcasting platform, whether that's Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, whichever one you prefer, so you can stay up to date on all future episodes. So that quote you just heard, that was Mr. Rob Miles. He is the school superintendent of the Mancho Township School District. I had Rob on because I want to talk about leadership, but I wanted to get a different perspective other than the police and military bubble that I've kind of been staying within. And I'm really glad that I did. Rob has some great insights that stem from his time being a teacher to being vice principal, principal, and now superintendent. So I hope everyone takes a little something away from this. And as always, if you learn something, share something. You ready? Let's just get in. I'm ready. Yeah. Let's do this thing. All right, Rob, thanks for doing this, man. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So I say we just get started hot and heavy. Start with a question that everybody wants to know. What kind of music do you listen to? All right, what kind of music do I listen to? I don't listen to, I'm a pretty boring person. I don't listen to much music. Um, I like 80s. So I grew up listening mostly to 80s. Um, Tom Petty. I love Bruce Springsteen. Um, I love Neil Young. It's a little bit before that time. I don't like anything modern. And uh, but I listen mostly to lectures, sermons, talks, not so much music. Yeah, you and I are in the same boat because I do listen to music sometimes if I'm working out or something mm-hmm. like that. But five six years ago, I got into the podcasting thing yeah. and, and listening to conversations, and that seemed to be the way to go. Yeah, to actually, you know, maybe learn something on your yeah. way to work or yeah. wherever it is you're going. But yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I love listening to stuff as I'm working. I love doing yard work. I love doing a project in my home. I love my job, but I I find it therapeutic to do a totally different type of job at home that has nothing to do with education, nothing to do with what I do every day. And then I listen to something. I can listen well when I'm focused on something else. So Yeah, it's funny. So my wife, Abby, we just, we were listening to something the other day. And that's how I am. When I'm cleaning the house, doing mm-hmm. monotonous activities, I always, I always have a podcast going on in the background. Right. And I pick up everything. Like, I know exactly what they're yeah. talking about. She, and I listen on my phone, she stares at the phone. Yeah, It's an audio podcast, but she's just like, I can't get, I can't get yeah. over, you know, staring at the phone. So it's hit or miss with whoever's, you know, listening. But right. yeah, I, I, I don't listen to music that often. I really don't. Yeah, you know, but podcasts are great. I think they're a great avenue for people to learn new things. Sometimes I just listen to one off the wall. Right, I'll click through Spotify or iTunes and just say, well, "Let me check out this yeah. podcast." But so I'm going to start chronologically with you because mm-hmm. this is a genuine conversation between you and I. We just met. Yes. Are you born and raised in New Jersey? I am. I was raised in East Greenwich. Uh, my parents are from here. My whole family lives here. My wife's here. Or obviously she's here. She was raised here. Um, yeah, South Jersey. Okay. Where'd you go to high school? Kingsway. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. You are? Okay. Yeah, Kingsway. And I taught there. Taught at the middle school for eight years. Did you play sports in high school? So I played, I golfed. 
Um, I wasn't that good. I played basketball. Um, I was good at basketball in my dreams. <laughs> um, and I played soccer, and they told me I had two left feet. So I love sports. I had some confidence, but I don't think my ability matched it. Right. So We're, uh, I hit puberty very late in life. I'll just say that out of the gate. So I think I developmentally was more like a middle schooler in high school right? and more like a high schooler in college, just like in terms of my weight. I, I When I graduated high school, I'm, I'm 6'1". I was the same height when I graduated high school, and no I was way. 130 pounds at 6'1". String bean. So they, say, they used to say, you know, watch out, Rob. If there's a gust of wind, you know, you're going to blow away. Or if I turn sideways, they'd say, where did you go? Um, so I just, you know, sports-wise, I was never really – I wasn't good. Yeah. Did you have fun? <laughs> I mean, obviously, you had fun yeah. playing sports, but – yeah. How was Kingsway's uh, basketball team back then? So they were not that good. They were more known for wrestling. Yeah, still. Um, yeah, yeah. So they were they were average at best at basketball. Um, they had a really good football team. They had an average soccer team, but they were really known for wrestling, I would say, and track. Yeah. At what point did you have the mindset? Uh, where'd you go to college after high school? So I went to Rowan. I went to a small Christian college in PA for one year. I was homesick. I did not like Pennsylvania, uh, at least the middle of Pennsylvania. I felt like I was in another country. And then I transferred to Rowan my sophomore year, which I loved. Um, And then I went to to Rowan. My undergrad was in finance. So I didn't, my undergrad was not in teaching. I went back for teaching right after I graduated in a post-baccalaureate program. How come you got started? What, what, uh, set you in the motion of finance. Okay. So I didn't know what I wanted to do, but when I was 12 years old, I started um, with my dad. My dad used to umpire baseball games to make extra money. And when I was 12, he figured at that point I could work and a great way for him to make money and also to teach me how to work would be to start a lawn care business. So we started a lawn care business. We did pretty well. We probably had 15 to 18 lawns. Did you have a name? Father and son lawn care. Yeah. So, and my dad, he said to me, he said, I'm going to split all the profits 50-50 with you. And I was 12. Did you try and negotiate like 64? I didn't. Maybe? I didn't. I, I, was, I, didn't, I didn't think I was even going to get anywhere close to 50-50. So I took it. Right. And he kept his word. And, and I did really well. We did well. Um, so from 12 to 18, I cut lawns uh, a few days a week. And that, that kind of didn't help with my whole sports thing either, because I wasn't doing camps. I wasn't doing, uh, I wasn't really into doing the practices after school. I was going home and getting all the gear ready, loading up the truck. My dad would come home, we'd go. Um, so I may, I did well at a young age financially. I was investing in mutual funds at 12, 13 years old. No I wasn't way. making much money. I'm not acting like, you know, I was some phenom. I wasn't, but I got a little taste of success and giving a product, having people pleased with it. Um, I think we did a really good job. We didn't charge a ton of money, but I was also able to make money. And then I thought, well, what should I do in life? I always wanted to teach, but I was deathly afraid of public speaking. I was an awful public speaker. So I thought to myself, I'll go for business. I love finance. I like stocks. I was kind of nerdy in that regard. And, and so I went for business. Right. At what point did the change happen? Did you go through the full four years? Yeah, I graduated with a finance degree, and um, I worked at a bank. I worked at Commerce Bank in the retail section, and then I worked in their credit analyst 
uh, credit analysis section over in Philly my senior year. I actually had a job on the table. I graduated on a Friday in May of 2004. I had that job full-time Monday, Wow! but turned it down because what changed, to answer your question, was in college, I took a public speaking class and I kind of conquered that fear a little bit. And I just felt like, you know what, I've always wanted to teach. Uh, and so I went for it. So I, I didn't take that job. And I went back that summer in a post-baccalaureate program. That's the summer of 2004. Did it at Rowan. Um, and and then September 2005, a little bit more than a year later, I started working as a middle school math teacher at Kingsway, and which a job I loved. I loved. And I became a vice principal there um, for a few years. But I always do look back and I think to myself, you know, I'm it all worked out and I'm, I'm thankful and, and um, I don't regret it, but I do think to myself, man, I, I probably left some, some dollars on the table there. With, Absolutely. You know, probably, leaving yeah. banking, but, but I feel like, you know, and I'll, I'll just say, I, I think the Lord, I know this, he had a plan for my life and, and that was, you know, God used as used kind of my career in education to bless me, to bless others. I, I hope, I believe. So, I'm not regretful, but I do kind of look back on that sometimes. Yeah, I would say you're probably better off now. Just and, and we see this in policing a lot. The individuals who make great police officers are usually the ones who had a different path before because right. they have more life skills and they did things yeah. uh, before and they didn't just go to get a criminal justice degree and then become a police officer, which is fine. Yes. But you went to school for something else. You worked at a bank. You learned how to talk to people, conquered your public speaking yeah. uh, fears, which I think everybody has that. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, I don't think it was my public speaking fear. It wasn't like some, I've known people who, who've had true fear to where they become like, it's debilitating. Oh, yeah. Now for me though, I would, up, I'd be up there shaking like crazy in front of my, you know, high school class. My friends would be in the back of the class laughing at me because I knew I, I couldn't speak in public. I'd be red as a tomato, but I did get better at that. I did get better at that. So that, that helped me and kind of, kind of changed my trajectory there. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat where that was one of the reasons I started this podcast was just understanding. So I had already reached a supervisory level and in order to get there, so how it works in policing, at least for our department, if you want to become a supervisor, you take a written test, which just goes over technical knowledge mm-hmm. of the job and policies and procedures. And then there's an oral board interview. You go into a room and for sergeant, there's three lieutenants, which is one rank above who mm-hmm. ask you questions. And it's terrifying. It's absolutely yeah. terrifying. However, I started to learn just to not act like you're somebody else, but just Go and like trick yourself. Mm-hmm. You're the most confident person in the world walking in there. Hey, how's everyone doing? And just, you know, visualize yourself crushing it. Um, but I wanted to get better at public speaking. Like I enjoyed teaching and I enjoyed, so at our academy going and speaking in front of the class and, and, and instructing. And I kept thinking, what's a better, how can I hone this skill? Because I really do enjoy giving mm-hmm. information out to people. So I decided to start this podcast. Yeah, it's great. And it's funny when you said, uh, you know, if you don't mind me saying, I mean, you were nervous before this started. Yeah. That's everybody is. Yeah. And like I said, we've even had, you know, military guys on and there was a woman I had on Jen Boy Lowe who specializes in meditation and, and yoga and all that. I mean, she was nervous. It's mm-hmm. just, I don't, I think everybody gets nervous. Yeah. And it's okay. You're right. But I think you have to conquer that and just get out there and do it, yes. which is what you're Great. doing, which what you're doing now. 
So let me talk to you about your early career in teaching. Did you have any early struggles uh, within the middle school realm? So my first year was great. My second year, I had a rough group, and I learned I learned the hard way how to deal with classroom management. Um, but no, overall, I was there eight years. Um, my second year was my roughest. The other, the other seven years were great. And when I say great, I don't mean good. I mean great. I had great kids. I had such supportive parents. I loved the administration. I loved the school. I knew the school because I went there. It was a different building by the time I taught there. Kingsway has boomed really since I've been in high school. Um, but no, I, I loved teaching middle school. I felt like taught you talk about confidence. You had to go in there with confidence because those kids would, if you had a chink in your armor, they would find it and they would eat you alive. So my first my first year, you know, I had 32 kids in my class. They're all in the throes of puberty. They're all hyper. They're all trying to impress one another. And you have to go in there and you really have to kind of run the show. So I feel like it, it helped me be a teacher, it kind of helped me with leadership. It sounds, maybe it sounds a little silly, but you have to learn how to get those kids to follow you because if you don't convince them that you have something to offer them, by the second week of school, they'll totally be on to something else and you'll have you'll have a terrible year. Yeah. I mean, we call that buy-in in the law enforcement community. Like you have, when you become a supervisor, you get eight to 10 people who are you're supervising. There, there needs to be some buy-in. Yeah. You can't just be some guy or girl who's just telling them what to do. Like there needs to be something right. in it for them too. Yes. You decide on what percentage that is, you know, uh, give and take, kind of like your dad with the 50-50 thing. Yeah. But how did, do you remember how you did that in the beginning? Like what, did you have a go-to where like how to get buy-in from people? Yeah. So I always, I always tried to be who I really was. I tried to be authentic. Now with that said, I remember watching the kids get off the bus my first day as a teacher and I saw, I felt great going in that day. I never taught, but I felt really good. And I watched them get off the bus and I started sweating like crazy because I thought, oh my goodness, they're coming to my class. Like, these are my kids. Yeah. Like, this is, this is going to happen. So when I say authentic, I, I, was, I was who I am. I treated them with respect. I was humble. I sometimes would mess up. I'd apologize to a kid on the side. Hey, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have you know, I, I probably lashed out a little bit at you in, in class there when you said that. I'm sorry, Johnny. But all that to say, there was a sense in which you had to fake for a little bit like that you knew what you were doing because that those first few weeks as a teacher, I felt like, you know, I was a, I was a half a step ahead of the kids, but I couldn't let them know that. So if that makes sense. No, it so, absolutely makes sense. So you have, to, you have to show confidence even though you don't always feel it. But the thing that happens is the more you – the more you do step out and seek to seek to lead and seek to be confident, it actually does become real. It becomes part of who you are. So that so that first year was very. I grew a lot that first year in that. Yeah, I think I think uh, you just nailed something in the sense of even though you're faking in the beginning, and that's part, I think a lot mm -hmm. of people do that, and I think that's a very valid strategy. You get positive feedback. Yeah. So you're giving something out, you're getting positive feedback, yeah. it's working, and then it just becomes part right. of it. And you just, right. it becomes a daily ritual. So you were there for eight years? Eight years. And, and then became a vice principal for two and a half. Right. So at some point in time, you had a, this is what fascinates me about the education world. Um, I've never been a teacher. I teach mm -hmm. at our academy, but in this, the, especially the realm you're in, I'm pretty ignorant to elementary education and mm -hmm. middle school and high school and all that. 
at some point in time, you had to switch in your mindset to where you want to get involved in administration. Yes. What happened with that? Okay, so so a few things. Um, I could I would love to. I would love to teach for 30, 40 years. I loved teaching. I miss it still. There's a part of me that at the end of my career, I um, I think I might want to go back to it for a few years just to kind of round things out because I, and I miss that age group specifically, middle school and even high school. Um, but what changed? A few things. One, and I'll be honest, I mean, you know, supporting a family, looking at at my family, I just got married a year or two after I started teaching and trying to think through that. So there was, there was, and not to say it's all about money, but none of us would do our jobs if it, if it was purely voluntary. We have to put food on the table. Absolutely. So just in all authenticity, absolutely. I wanted to, I wanted to provide for my family. But I also, I also, um, I was a team leader at Kingsway, which we had little pods of teams. My, th- fourth year there, I became a team leader. So explain, how does that work? So the way it works is we had a group of kids, about 130 to 150 kids that shared the same five teachers, a math teacher, a language, we had English, an English teacher, and a literature teacher. We had two language arts teachers, English and lit, social studies and science. And you had to have somebody as part of that group of those five teachers be the team leader. And we met every day during our off period. And I had to bring an agenda. The team leader had to bring an agenda and go through it. So you're you're leading your peers. You don't have, you're not their supervisor. You all are, are um, accountable to, you know, the supervisor, but you're tasked with facilitating that team and creating goals and getting buy-in. And then we would meet, we would have parent conferences throughout the year. We would meet with the kids. We'd bring them in from their phys ed class, their art class, meet with them, meet with them for 20 minutes and go over an issue that they're dealing with. So my fourth year, I did that. And I, I really loved it. I enjoyed it. And I grew a lot in that. So were you elected to that position chosen? Did you volunteer for it? Like, how's that? No. So it was a stipend position. It was like a modest stipend, but, um, but no, I, I had to apply for it. It was pretty competitive. Um, and so to be put in that role early on, you know, looking back, I think to myself, I think there could have been a lot of other people at that stage who would have done it better than me, but I was given that opportunity. I didn't argue with it. I was thankful for it and it worked out really well. So by the time I got in my seventh or eighth year of teaching, I, I, in, I began to really enjoy the leadership aspect of it. I liked, um, I liked that idea of getting buy-in and I found too, people People want to be led. It almost sounds weird, but people want, we all do. We want somebody to give direction and then provide opportunities for feedback. But I felt like that was I was successful with that. And so kind of becoming an, becoming a, a vice principal there was the next step. Um, so that was part of it. Yeah. That, you I, know, I think um, you're right. You're absolutely correct. People do want to be led because otherwise life's pretty chaotic. Yeah. People, people want, want clarity, not chaos. Yes. Yeah. They want some direction. Yeah. And it's okay to be that guy or that girl who provides that. Because right. there are certain people who some people just want to be told what to do. And that's great. Yes. There are other people who enjoy. I, I don't even like to say telling other people what to do. It's, it's guiding them. Mm-hmm. It's being able to take a step back, yeah. see the big picture, and say, hey, you're really good at this. Let's put you here. You're really good at this. Let's put you here. That's really cool that you got a chance to. I didn't know that that was a thing, the team mm-hmm. leader uh, aspect. That's awesome. It was great. So we had to. We had to call parents. You know, I remember my first week as a team leader, 
I got put on a team. It was a new team, which is why there was the open position. So because Kingsway was growing so much, they were adding teams, you know, once every few years. So I got put on the team with two brand new teachers and then two veteran teachers. And then it was me. I'm only in my fourth year. So I was kind of in the middle. My first week, a parent called me, was upset with the literature teacher um, because she gave her son a zero for a homework assignment because the kid didn't hand it in. And she said to me, she read me out. It was the first, you know, I was only in my fourth year. It was the first difficult call I ever had with a parent. It had nothing to do with me. And she said, Mr. Miles, this needs to be overturned. Now, I'm not even, I'm not even the supervisor. I'm the team leader. I'm facilitating the team. She goes, you need to tell Mrs. So-and-so to, over, to override this zero and you need to give Anthony, his name was Anthony, give him another chance to do this, do this assignment. We just started the year. She gives me the whole riot act. And I said to her, I said, I'm not going to do that because this is in our policy. This is what we're doing. And she said, well, I'm going to go to Mr. Walton, who is the principal. I said, I'm sorry, Mrs. So-and-so that you feel that way. However, I need to, you know, s stick by this decision and you can feel free to do that. I go give Mr. Walton a heads up. He thanks me. And she called me. This was so, this is very influential for me early on. She called me a few days later and said, I want you to know, I respect what you did. I was bluffing. I thought about it. I wasn't going to go to Mr. Walton. And after you said that you weren't going to change it, I thought more about it. And I just want to let you know, just keep it the way it is. Now, she still had some words about our policy, but we moved on. And I thought to myself, it was a good, it was kind of a good test and a good win early on that I think a lot of times in leadership too, you know, you look at a situation and you look and think, well, what's, what's right and what's practical? And sometimes those two things are not the same. And when, I mean, it's great when what's right is the most practical thing and the most, the easiest thing to do. But oftentimes what's right and what is most practical, or, and when I say practical, I mean easy, functional in that moment, oftentimes they don't align and you can never let go of what is right, even if it costs you. I think that's one of the most important things to leadership is leadership cannot be done out of a posture of self-preservation. You have to lead based off what is right, not what is convenient. I think we all know people who do do it for self-preservation. Yes. Yeah, and they're, and they're it, in Washington, D.C., a lot of them. Yeah. And that's why our country's struggling. Yeah, and, and it's ugly because they're so concerned about themselves, and leadership is just the opposite. It's you're in a, uh, This is the way I think of leadership. I think of leadership as a servant position. Yeah. I'm just here to serve. Yeah. So it's you're right, because leadership is not easy, because you do need to make those yeah. decisions sometimes when you're like, well, option B would be really easy, Yeah. but option A, this is actually the right thing to do. Right. This is amazing to me how similar uh, the education world is to the policing world and what you just said, because I get phone calls all the time yeah. from people who are upset with policing services and all that kind of stuff. It's interesting. I learned early on that sometimes you just need to let people vent. Yeah. I had an issue in the beginning, just wanting to solve everyone's problems and just this is our policy and procedure. And sometimes people just want to vent. And it sounded like that woman just kind of wanted to get it off her chest. Yeah. You, you gave her the right guidance, man, this is our, policy and procedure right uh that's great that she called you back though because if she didn't i don't know maybe that wouldn't have been the same right lesson yeah learned. yeah she called me back which which showed me and, I, and i've had situations where i've done the same thing and they've called the principal or they've called the supervisor and and then there's a headache on that end but yeah that was my first real test and the fact that she called me back i think it showed me you know in the moment, I think people, yeah, they want a certain answer, but I think a lot of people, after the fact, they look back and they actually respect you more by giving the right answer, not the one they wanted in the moment.
not all people, but I, but I think that you know, and I, that's kind of shown me like from my perspective, I I want to be liked. There's not a human being in the world that doesn't want to be liked, but I I want to be respected way more than I want to be liked because I think respect deals more with people know you're doing the right thing, not what is convenient for you in the moment. Because what's convenient for you, you're gonna you're gonna sell people out. If you're always if you're doing what's convenient for you as your guiding principle, like like I said before, it's great when they align. What's right and what's convenient are the same thing. That's like that's wonderful, but when they don't align, you you cannot let go of what's right. And I think you do gain the respect of people even if they disagree with you. If that makes sense, no, it makes it makes a ton of sense because they know it, they know what's right, right? You know, and they kind of are looking deep for down. You. A lot of times they do. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Building respect means making not everybody's going to like you. You right. have to make tough decisions. Yeah. But eventually they're going to come around. Yeah. Right? Because it it's a pendulum. It always swings back and forth. But eventually they're going to come around and be like, ah, oh, you know what? I understand why Rob made that decision. Or I understand why so-and-so made that decision. Yeah. I want to talk about the vice principal position. What is the job task of a vice principal? So it looks different in every school and every district. So I was in a middle school with, at that time at Kingsway, this is 2012, 2013, 14. There were 850 kids, seventh and eighth grade in one building wow. at the same time. So yeah, you saying, wow. So, I, you know, you show up every day and you have no idea what's coming your way. And we had some serious situations that happened that just... Not everybody's aware of it. Teachers don't know, maybe only a few, but we had some really dicey, difficult situations. And that was an extremely, and I know I'm biased, that was an extremely well-run middle school, very well-run, but you get 850 kids there, you're dealing with a lot. So I was dealing with a lot of discipline. I was observing teachers, evaluating teachers, running field trips, um, creating the, the schedule for the school along with the principal. I love the job I have now. I loved being a principal. There's something really special about that job, that assistant principal role that I had that is unique to anything I've had since or before, um, just because of there's a lot of factors for that. But it, it was a wonderful job. But you basically chased your tail around from seven in the morning to four at night or four in the afternoon. And, you know, you didn't eat lunch and you just were all over the place because anything could happen at any moment. Yeah. So here's something that I, I kind of want to get your opinion on. And it's something that. I've talked to my wife about this and my sister who are involved in the elementary education world. So I'm policing, right? And you've had a unique career because you have had different changes. Mm -hmm. You know, you were in middle school for eight years, did the vice principal, principal, superintendent now. Here's the thing that's always fascinating about education. So I'm policing, right? And I'll just take my own department. We're a mid-sized department, about 400 guys, uh, men and women. There's a ton of different opportunities. Everybody starts out on the road, but there's a bunch of different specialized units you can go in, switch it up, do something new. You can get promoted to sergeant, lieutenant, captain, major, lieutenant, colonel, current. Like there's all of these possibilities. So for me personally, I've done something different every two years for the most part. And it's always kept my interest. Mm -hmm. I have to learn something new. It seems like education is not similar to that. I'm fascinated with how do you, how do you prevent burnout of teachers Right. If somebody's teaching similar curriculum and they're teaching second grade for 10 straight years or however long it is, like, have you guys ever explored that? Like, yeah, I mean, it's something that we talk about. Um, I think that we could, I, of course, I think we could do better in that, in that arena in, in identifying that. Cause I think that that's a real thing. 
Because, of course, like being a teacher, there is some level of monotony to it year after year after year, even though you're trying to improve, you're trying to grow. Um, I've always thought that teachers do well when they're able to let their roots grow deep, which means not much change. That being said, you hit on something that can also cause you to become stagnant and and encounter burnout, I think. So I think it's an area that we need to talk more about. Yeah. But I think part of that could be could be for teachers who want to giving other opportunities for them to do a different part of that education field. Yeah. And I don't even know. Because there is some variety in education. Yeah. And I don't even know if that's a thing that, listen, I'm sure teachers do get burnout. Maybe it's more, uh, it happens more frequently in policing than in education. I don't know. But I just know, I'm just thinking back to my own career, always around that two year mark. I'm like, okay, like I'm ready for something new. Right. Um, and, and I'm sure in teaching that, you know, you have individuals who are very passionate about education and you do get new kids every year. So maybe that staves off that right burnout, if you will. Yeah. And there all, there's also the aspect of with teaching, if you're teaching a certain content and grade level, you do want to do it for a few years because you become very proficient with understanding those standards, with the lessons you have to teach, and you really start to fine tune it. So if a teacher moves every two years to a different job. Yeah, they're never really they're, honing those They're skills. not honing. But then again, does that mean that they should be in the same role for 15, 20 years? I don't, you know, for some teachers, they actually, they prefer that and that's good. Yeah. Um, but not for all. So I think, so it might take a little longer for them to desire a change, but I do think that comes. Yeah. Do you guys have team leaders here? So we have we have what's called curriculum cabinet leaders. It's it's kind of similar, but it's for not to get into too much of the education speak and all, but it's it's more in terms of content areas. So we have we have like for example a leader of the third grade uh, language arts teachers um, or fourth grade language arts teachers. We have two for each grade. It actually becomes more specialized in the older grades. We'd have a a fifth grade math, uh, not team leader, but curriculum cabinet leader, and a fifth grade ELA one, that type of thing. Whereas at Kingsway, it was actually, it was cross-curricular, they would call it. So it was five different or four different contents, five teachers. And it was, you're actually managing a group of students and then trying to have one vision as a team. A little different. I got you. Okay. Yeah. How long were you uh, vice principal at Kingsway? So two years, two, two and a half years. And then principal at JMT? Principal at JMT. It, so over in Mantua, different so, district for five years. So how does that work? I mean, the I guess as assistant principal, is that the do most assistant principals want to become a principal? Yes. Right. I would say so. Yeah. So I was told when I got that job by the superintendent, and he was right, Dr. Lavender over at Kingsway, he said, this is a stepping stone job. You want to look at this as three to five years which is true because talk about burnout. That is a burnout job. That's a hard job um, to where, yeah, you, you don't necessarily, and there's, there's people who do it. You don't necessarily want to make that a career. You want to move on to principal because you, you kind of step back a little bit as a principal and survey the land a little bit more. Whereas as, as a vice principal, you're, I mean, you're on the front lines. So there's a high burnout. So it is more of a stepping stone. So is from the, a career standpoint, yes. Right. So I'm just thinking, my mind always thinks chain of command, essentially. So does the principal, or, so they're they're taking a step back, looking at everything, giving direction to the vice principal who then carries it out? Is that yes. how it works? Okay. Yes. 
to the vice principal, or in that case, we had two vice principals. So yeah, so it's going to go from superintendent down to the principals, the curriculum director, the child study team director, the director of student uh, personnel, all the different directors, people personnel, and then they're going to then that's essentially like the the chain of command, the org chart. They're going to then take that vision and then make it a reality in their departments with their groups. How much difference was there going from assistant principal at Kingsway to principal at JMT? So, so not as much as, even though it was a different district, not as much of a difference as going from teacher to vice principal to assistant principal. Okay. So my biggest jump, the most difficult jump I had this might be different for other people, was going from teacher to vice principal. Whereas I felt the steps of going from from vice principal to principal and principal to superintendent, it was it was more it was more natural. It wasn't as much of a jump. Um, there's parts of the job that have gotten easier every time I've moved to another position. The hardest jump was teacher to vice principal. It's, it's drastic. It sounds like those are two different, two completely different roles. Teacher different to roles. vice principal. Different, yeah, different roles. Although you, you take a lot of what you learned as a teacher and apply it because you need to understand the way the schools operate. You need to understand how to communicate with parents and teachers. You need to know what teachers need to do to be successful. But I was that first month as a vice principal. I was blown away at in terms of how much more involved it was than I perceived while I was a teacher. You know, I always looked at my, my administrators and thought, well, they, you know, they're walking down the hallway with a smile on their face. They're pleasant. This must not be that, I mean, this must not be that difficult. But you, you know, you have a poker face in that job where you walk down the hallway and there's things that are weighing on you that you just don't, people don't know, Mm -hmm. but there's things going on behind the scenes. So, I mean, I remember my, one of my first difficulties on that job, not to get too personal here, was I was maybe three, four weeks on the job. A fight broke out in the cafeteria. So I had this kid over here, I had the other kid over at the, in the nurse's office getting checked out. There are two 13, 14-year-old kids who were punching each other. I had a situation where the um, secretary says to me, Rob, I have so-and-so on the phone who's irate, who's upset. I said, okay, put her on hold. I'll be right with her. And then I have a kid, a Again, not to get too personal, a 12-year-old girl who comes up to me, sweet girl. I knew her um, because I was a teacher there. I'd known her before I got into the role. And she says, Mr. Miles, I just sent a photo of myself to my boyfriend, and now it's going all over the school. I said, okay, just have a seat. I'll be right with you. At that time, a teacher walked up to me. I love teachers and said, my thermostat's not working in my room, and I need you to deal with this right now. And I said, I'll be right with you. So you just, you know, they just, there's not... You're triaging at that point. Yes, yeah. So it's just that you keep, but you can't let them know everything that's going on. It's no. just, you know, so... That's a, uh, that's fascinating. So you really had to hone your uh, conflict management skills, yeah. uh, triaging and working yeah. under, under stress. And that wasn't every day, but that was, that's what you're dealing with at any given moment. So it was just very stressful, very – it was difficult, but I, I, I had such a great team there. I loved that job. I loved that job. Um, and I knew the teachers well, and I, I, I respected them. They respected me because I worked alongside them for eight years. So it was just it – it was a great opportunity. Yeah. I learned a lot. When you became principal at JMT, did you have a philosophy in mind or something that you really wanted to accomplish and a goal that, hey, I am now the principal – this is really what I want this building to be. Was there anything like that? 
Yeah, well, I wanted, so I wanted a few things, and hopefully I don't ramble on here. I wanted the building, first of all, to operate efficiently. I wanted people to know what their roles were. I, I believe strongly in communication. I don't want to over-communicate, but I, going back to the clarity thing, when people know what is expected of them, when they're not always wondering what's coming up next, what are we doing, I think it breeds, that clarity breeds efficiency and it breeds, it kind of takes everybody's anxiety level down and they're able to operate and thrive in their roles. So I was big on communication and, and efficiency. Um, I didn't do that perfectly, but that was something that I that I really sh- tried to stress and live out and do as as the principal. Um, I believed strongly in respect, um, and that that's two ways. That goes both ways. So respecting and appreciating teachers. I think teachers. I think teachers have a very difficult job. I think everybody to some extent. I mean, we're all living life. We all life is difficult. Life is difficult, not just in our professions, but at home. We all have different things going on when we shut the door, when we come through the door, you know, at the end of the day that we encounter with our families. So I wanted it to be a place where my teachers were respected and where they were honored for what they did and where they actually looked forward to coming to work. So I tried to do things and that's not always going to happen. I mean, we none of us, I mean, we all are excited for a snow day. We're all excited when the summer comes, but I I wanted to create an atmosphere where they actually wanted to be there. Um, and I think to some to some degree, we actually we actually did that because that's um, that's very difficult to do. Uh, that's that's very big in the world of policing too. Like, hey, everybody's stressed out. They have home lives to go to. Let's try and make this a positive work yeah. environment. But that's different for everybody, right? You know, what I mean, everybody, everybody's positive work environment looks a little different. Yeah. So that's a lofty goal. Yeah, and I think, and I think, um, I like to differentiate too between. So, so at the end of the day, and I've said this to people before, you know, at the end of the day, we get paid twice a month in education, at least in New Jersey, fifteenth and thirtieth. I've said the fifteenth and the thirtieth are a reminder that this is not a hobby for any of us. Like this is a job, and a job sometimes stinks. That's why you know it's called work for a reason because sometimes it's just work. You just sweat. And it stinks and you can't wait to be done. But even though even though that is the reality of it, that doesn't mean I look at people as if they're robots. People are not robots. People are human beings. They have emotions. They have fears. They have anxieties. They have their home lives. And you want to create an environment where they enjoy being there. You can't always do that. You can't. I mean, we're human beings. But if that is the goal, And that doesn't mean you flatter people. It doesn't mean you bend over backwards. It doesn't mean you're disingenuous. But if you really try to build them up and see where they're they're excelling and praise them for that and make it an environment that they want to be at, they actually become better at what they do. And we all, as we're working and sweating, we all actually enjoy it more. So that's always kind of been the way I've looked at it. Yeah. So it's funny. So I'm going to throw some... um going to throw some theories at you that mm-hmm. I've learned about in school because you just kind of one by one ticked off each of these points. There's a theory out there called self-determination theory. What it basically says is while all humans are unique, we all kind of have three basic psychological needs mm-hmm. in order to feel motivated to do your job, be successful, all that right. kind of stuff. Number one is autonomy, the freedom to make your own decisions, whether that's real or not. Uh, but being in the principal position, making people feel like they have a say in, in what they're doing. Yes. All right, which you just hit on. 
competency, meaning you have the ability to do whatever it is you're being asked to do, Mm -hmm. right? So making sure they're well-trained and, and, you know, they feel confident in their positions. And the last one is a sense of relatedness, which just means a sense of belonging. So you you literally just hit on all three of those points uh, without even knowing it. I don't know if you're familiar with that, those three basic psychological needs, but uh, as unique as all humans are, like it sounds like you were trying to create that perfect storm of they feel like they belong, they're well-trained, and they have a sense in yeah. their own decision-making. Yeah. Yeah. The first one, autonomy, I I really believe strongly in that one because I've had – I've been in situations where I've been given autonomy and situations where I haven't. And I've seen what it's done in me. So when I've been given autonomy – and autonomy does – doesn't mean you don't get feedback, you don't get guidance, you don't get correction at times, but when you're given ownership of something, and I've said this to our administrators, we have such a great administrative group, by the way, but we've talked about this. When people feel like they're always being, you know, you're, you're right behind them, you're, you're breathing down their necks, you're looking over their shoulder, you're, you're pointing things out all the time, their sense of ownership and what they do lessons they just say well you know what if you're if you're going to be here all the time i might as well just give it to you what do you want to do whereas i think people thrive when they're given ownership when they know i'm accountable for this i've got to i got to figure this out i got to do it now that doesn't mean they don't have people to go to for help but at the end of the day i answer to this and i'm given some autonomy to do this differently than the way than you know for example this teacher across the hallway or this administrator in another building is doing it i think Autonomy and ownership breeds more of an investment, and then people actually pr- produce a better product. Absolutely, that yeah. takes confidence. I've seen it in myself. Yeah, that takes confidence in the person giving autonomy. Yeah, right. Because there are people out there who number one don't understand that concept, but number two are so stressed out and want to micromanage every little detail, and yes. then they don't realize what they're doing. And it's just, yeah. hey, if you take a step back and just there's you know the old saying, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat or whatever right just let people people are creative and yes just let them go people do their have thing better ta- people have talents you don't have let them go mm-hmm. give them give provide the structures where they can thrive provide the the organizational framework where there's not confusion but where there's communication and collaboration and then let them go because once you start to micromanage you you take away their vested interest in what they're doing like if somebody and I've had this happen where like I'm trying to create something and somebody's always chirping in my ear. No, you have to do it this way. You have to do it that way. Well, I just I want to throw my hands up in the air and, say, and just say, well, you do it. Mm-hmm. And then you stop caring because it's not yours anyway. Right. So, yeah, I think motivation's big in that, too. People need to be motivated and people are motivated when they know they're creating something. Most people, I think. Yeah. And I think you said it well. You do need to provide a framework. You can't just give somebody right. autonomy with just chaos give them a framework to work within. And we use micromanaging in the policing world as a tool. Some people do need to be micromanaged if they right. if they really are messing up and making mistakes and yes. you know, we are dealing with some very intense situations like micromanaging can be used as a tool, but it's not a permanent yeah, leadership style. I agree. I think it's more at least in education, it's more if you're having to micromanage a teacher, it can't first of all, yeah, it can't be your overarching framework that you're using that you're putting on all your teachers it has to be for a corrective purpose for a teacher who needs to grow because of some sort of deficiency in teaching or in classroom management and you come in you micromanage it's more for coaching and helping and then you need to pull away and then see if this teacher can thrive and if not 
well, then that's that's another issue. Does it ever happen in the educational system where a teacher does have a deficiency? Will a vice principal or principal reach out to another teacher and say, hey, can you assist this individual or does that not happen? Yeah, so that does happen, but it happens. It, I mean, it can get a little tricky with like we want to we want to protect privacy. We also yeah, have to work in the framework of unions, and so usually the the administrator will go to the teacher, talk about an area where they'd like to see the teacher grow, and then say to the teacher, "Hey, Mrs. So and So is great in this area. She could observe you, or you could observe her. You could pick up some pointers." So it's more it's more done. Um, it's not necessarily a mandated thing at least in our district no yeah but we try to pair people together at times yes yeah more like an informal mentorship yeah um kind of thing and those teachers are usually very receptive to that because they want to grow teachers want to grow mm-hmm. yeah absolutely how long were you principal at jmt so uh five years okay five years superintendent position becomes available yes uh talk to me of that because again i'm kind of ignorant to how that stuff works but it was was that at what point in the five years you being principal did you decide I want to go to the next? Or is that always kind of maybe I'm maybe I'm misreading you in the sense of are you always looking for the next level? Right? How can I continue to grow? So I I basically became interested in the superintendent position about a month after it posted. Okay. So I was not planning to go for it. Um, I, I've always wanted to be a business administrator in a district. So I love what I'm doing now, but I would not want to be a superintendent anywhere else. I decided to do this because after about a month of thinking through it, after it after Dr. Fizikaro announced that he was going to leave, I realized, well, you know what? I know the teachers. I know the kids. I know the administrators. I'd love who I'd be working with. And I wanted to serve the community and do that. Um and it, it just made sense. And honestly, with this whole COVID situation that we were dealing with, so I, I started in August, August 1st of 2020. I believe that because I, because I was a principal here for five years, I knew the schedule, I knew the way everything operated, and I thought I could step into that role and actually, and I don't, not to make it sound arrogant, but I thought I could be successful here, stepping into the role in this district I didn't want to do it anywhere else. So I'd like to do it. I, you know, I want to do it. Obviously, I'm doing it right now. Yeah. But my long-term goal is not is not to be a superintendent forever. Right. That's not my long-term goal. I actually more like the, the business aspect of running a school, which I'm actually the business administrator here as well. Mm-hmm. But there's a secret. There's a, a great lady whose name is Michelle Daminger who covers for me and does about 99.9% of the work. And that is not an exaggeration. So if I didn't have her, I would be, I'd be in big trouble right now. So she's, she's the business brains behind this whole operation. I carry the cert for the district, but I want to step more into that role eventually in year years to come and actually not be as invested. Um, not that I'm not going to invest highly in this job, but I think I need to probably step back in a few years and not not have a cot set up here. I speak figuratively and just be ha- having all my waking and non-waking hours in this building. I'm, I'm here a lot and it's actually gotten better from being a principal. That was that was a really, really difficult job in terms of investment. So again, I'm rambling on, but I don't I don't want to be a superintendent forever. Yeah. I want to actually step back and serve in other areas, church, family. I want to get involved in other things outside of uh, vocation. 
I think that's great though. Yeah. Uh, you and I share some similar characteristics in the sense of uh, when I get in, in new positions, I don't want to be there forever. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I give myself a time frame, say four or five years. There's certain things I want to get done. I'm not going to be here forever. Right. So kind of, it restricts me in a time where I got to get things done. Like there's certain things I want to do. Right. I'm going to make the most of it. Yeah. Rather than having the mindset of, eh, I might be here 10, 15 yeah. years, who knows? Yeah. Right. How does it work to become superintendent? Yeah. So interview process. So interview process. I interviewed with the, with the board two times. Um, it wasn't, the process here was probably not all that extensive because compared to other districts, because we're a smaller district. Um, but it, yeah, it involved interviews over zoom. I, I told the board, I can't stand that. Yeah, me neither. So I told the board president after I got hired that I was, probably was the first person in the history of the world to ever get hired as a superintendent while wearing shorts for both of his interviews <laughs> because it was over Zoom. I look good from the waist up, but but I was wearing gym shorts, um, you know, where it couldn't be seen. So, uh, but anyway, to go, I want to go back real quick to something that you asked me. When I say I'd like to do eventually more of the business administrator side, I don't mean that that's any less work or not difficult. I know it is. There's just an emotional investment that comes with this job and comes with being a principal that I don't think is is as um, intense in more the business behind the scenes end of it. And I tend to I tend to like I have two gears. I'm either on or off. Mm-hmm. So for me to do this job. It's very difficult for me to to do it and not be completely consumed by it. Like I came home on Friday, and it takes me a few hours to get to, to settle down from Friday. I just I I'm I'm all in. I'm dreaming about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm getting up early in the morning. So I'm I look forward to one day hopefully having a job that's not as emotionally intense. Still hard, but if that makes sense, now that's makes, where I was coming, coming from. And really, what's the other option? To go in seventy percent. Right. I respect right. the fact that you go in 100%. Yeah. I don't really know what the other option is. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, yeah. I agree. There's too much at stake Absolutely. To, to just, you know, give it a mediocre effort. It affects people. Have you had mentors along the way? People that you've kind of gone to for advice? Yeah, so I've had I've had formal mentors that I've had to have for certifications, but that and they've been great, but the the best mentors have been on an informal basis, people I look up to, people I call when I'm in, you know, I need to shut the door. I have a, I have an issue. Bounce things off of. Um, yes, I've had mentors. Does do any schools have any formal mentoring programs for teachers? I don't know if that's a thing. Yes, yes. And how do they work? So they so we have to do a type of mentoring process for new teachers. Um, but I would actually like to bring more mentoring just for all teachers because I think teachers benefit from that. Not just while you're trying to get your cert for the first year of being a teacher. But I think that that's needed across the board because I think the mentors actually benefit it, benefit from it as well, not just the mentees. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I've had, I've had people who have invested into my life. I look at it as the grace of God upon my life where people have stepped in at different seasons and, and really been a blessing to me and I've learned a lot from and I think what do they say you know you you um you grow more from what is caught not what is taught so I've had I mean I had a guy who invited me in his home my first year as a teacher he was a mentor to me had nothing to do with teaching he had me in his home every Monday night for dinner with him and his wife and his at that time four kids and I caught so much from him 
and um, it's it's affected you know who I am today. So I've had a lot of mentors along the way. They they wouldn't call themselves mentors, but they functioned in that role. Do you seek them out, or do they seek you out, or how do, how do you? So that's a good question. No, I no, I've never. I've never sought it out like formally, like will you will you mentor me or will you meet with me? Yeah. But it's more just been, I guess, organically happens where, hey, come on over, let's get together. Um, and I'm at a stage in my life where I'd like to do that more in return. And I think I, I mean, going back to what you just said or what we just talked about in my job right now, and this is no excuse; it's the reality of it. I just feel like I'm, I'm in it, and I've, a, I want to, I need to give what I can give to my wife and my kids now, and I need to be faithful there, which sometimes is difficult with the hours I'm putting in. So I'm at that point right now, but I want to get to a point where I can actually expand out and, and give back more. Yeah. I want to talk about, because not only were you probably the first superintendent to get hired wearing shorts, but <laughs> I don't know how many other superintendents started during the, the time of COVID. Yeah. I mean, so that was just... I think you're very fortunate and you started in this district where you had some familiarization with it because otherwise that just would have been, not only was it already chaotic, at least you had some, you were familiar a little bit, had to have helped. It helped. And yeah, it it was weird in a way when I, when I, and again, I, I, I'm just, I'm just being transparent here. When I got the job, I knew, I knew I was cut out for this COVID thing this, this year. I just felt great about it. I felt peace. Again, I'm not trying to, I'm being authentic, but when I say this, I believe it was a peace from God. And I, I had been here for five years. I knew all the players. I knew what needed to be done to get us from point A to B. I needed, and I knew I needed a whole lot of help along the way. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, that I could do it on my own, but I felt very, I felt, I felt a strange peace about the whole thing that, and I think it helped, of course, having been here. I think you were in a small group of people with yes. a sense of peace with, yeah. with all this. So obviously the big point of topic with COVID, and again, this is just me being ignorant to the educational world. Some schools uh, were doing halftime things. Some schools are going to school. Some are doing um, Zoom. Is that your decision or like who makes that decision? Yeah. So we had to, over the summer, we had to develop a plan for reopening um, and Part of that plan involved all those different aspects. You know, what part of our day would be in person? What part of the week would be in person? Which part of the week or the day would be virtually? So we had a steering committee that helped with that process. We got a lot of feedback through that. It was about 20 or so people, some teachers, um, uh, representative, a representative from the union, uh, actually, two representatives from the union. And who puts that uh, committee together? So I put it together. So oh, we had did. we actually had a safety committee that had been meeting for two years prior. And so we just basically took the safety committee and expanded it to have, include a few other people. And then we did a lot of a lot of work through that. But ultimately, I then have to take all of it and take all the feedback and try to come come up with a cohesive plan with the with the information I received from everyone and then present it to the board. It had to be approved by the board. So that's essentially how the process works. I got you. So let me ask you this. What are some of the unique stressors that people may just have no idea that your job holds? So the biggest unique stressor for me, this might not be the same for, for other individuals in this role, is the amount of communication. So it just never stops. So I'll go to bed at night at nine o'clock. I'll have 
all my email checked. I'll get up early the next morning and I'll have 30, 40 new emails that I have to handle, that I have to deal with, that are time sensitive. So I think for me, it's just it's just the amount of communication. It just never stops. And I'm not good at turning off. So I'm trying to grow with that. I'm trying to kind of get some of my weekend back. But that would be it. That would be just it. The communication never stops, even though you're not here all the time. Right. It's almost like you're in an on-call status. Yeah, you are. Yeah. You are. And with cell phones, I'm not anti-cell phone, but they've not helped. And it's not just me. They haven't helped our teachers. They haven't helped a lot of people in, in various professions be able to have you know, that dichotomy between when I'm on and when I'm off. Because our our teachers, we need them to get refreshed, to go home, to spend time with their families and come back refreshed. And a lot of times they can't because they get an email at 830 at night from a parent who's irate about something and then and they can't sleep. It blows up their night. They they care. So because they care, they then carry the weight of it and you're not as effective yeah. with that. So it's it's almost like a blessing and a curse, these phones. Yeah, phones make things easier. They uh, absolutely make things easier. However, the on-off switch definitely yes. makes it uh, more difficult. And you're right because I think a lot of your teachers are so passionate about what they do that they're not just going to ignore that email at 8.30 at night. They're going to address it. Yeah. Think about it. How am I going to yeah. deal with this? Who am I going to talk to? Right. Yeah, that, that's interesting. So for you personally, I totally re- I, I totally understand. Like you have a lot of stuff going on. What do you do to turn off? Like do you have hobbies that you use? So so I love to read. Um, I'd like to – I wish I could read more. I wish I would read more. So I like to read. I love spending time with my family. Going back to what we started off with, I like doing house projects. Like I always want to have some house project going on because one, you're, you're home. I mean, if you don't deal with it, it's just going to slowly kind of break down. Mm-hmm. You need to repaint the walls. You need to do whatever you need to do. But it's also kind of therapeutic for me. But I don't like I don't I don't really do much. I don't I don't I'm not on a, you know, a softball team. I'm not I'm not doing hobbies on the side. I don't fish. I don't hunt. Um, I really just work and spend time with my family and try to, you know, redo a bathroom or paint a paint a room here and there. Yeah, there's not much. I think that's plenty though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of, I kind of like going back. I kind of lead a pretty boring life. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with that though. Yeah, no, no. It's a season. It's yeah. a season. So yeah. Um, you've spoken on so many topics of leadership that are just fundamental principles mm-hmm. principles of leadership that I don't even know if you realize. Do you read books about leadership or because you're you're on point with everything that's out there right now in the current literature of leadership, or is this just what you've acquired over time? Yeah, I don't read books on leadership. I don't, yeah. I'm not really – that's not to say I never have, but I'm not really interested in them. Well, it hasn't impacted you because right. you're doing the right thing, so that's, yeah. that's what's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because in policing, the – policing and military are very similar where – a lot of individuals who are involved in the military higher ranks, they usually get out, write a book about leadership and all that stuff, and we all read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know guys that have read 15, 20, 25 books on leadership. I'm more the mindset of, I like to read one book about leadership, yeah. pick a couple of things out, and then go put it into practice. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just fascinated in the sense that you haven't really read much no. on leadership, but being humble, communicating, and creating re- positive relationships and creating a work environment where people want to work. Right. That's pretty much what leadership is. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I think people overcomplicate it. Right. Did you have a uh, personal relationship with Dr. Fizikaro? Yeah, Did I've you? known him for a while. Okay. 
I've known him for a while, not not well. I, of course, got to know him really well when I became a principal. Um, but I knew some people who knew him 15 years ago, um, and I've kind of kept a little bit in touch with him. But I got to know him really well, obviously, when I got in the role. Yeah. It's funny, just growing up, I went to some of his basketball camps, and he was yeah. really involved in the yeah. community and, and all that kind of stuff. I might reach out to him because I haven't spoken to him in a while, but I think he'd be another interesting individual to yeah. to speak to. Yeah, I mean, I think, so going back to the whole leadership thing, so I, the last leadership book I read was by Stephen Covey, and I read that when I was in college. So I don't read leadership books. I think it was the first one I read, too. So principal Center Leadership, I think it was called. There was one thing I got from that book that was very helpful. Um, but I don't read leadership books, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes I'm skeptical of the motives of the authors. You know, let me come up with some nice little things here that that maybe aren't, no, it's not wrong, but I can t- sometimes be skeptical. Like, I know why you're writing this book. It's because you need to sell books and make money. Yeah. So I sometimes can be skeptical, but my my belief is the best leader the best leaders are first be, are first the best followers not necessarily of other people but again again I know I'm talking about this a lot but of God so the one book that I that I have been in the last 15 years is the Bible so I mean that's I get up early that for the first hour of my day I'm reading the Bible every day and so you talk about humility you talk about servanthood serving so I look at the picture of Jesus Christ, and that is shaped who I fall short every day, but who that's that's what I'm striving for. And to the extent I follow him, to that same extent, I'm effective as a leader. Absolutely. So that's been really that's where I've gotten everything. Yeah. I mean, I'm not that it's you know, I but I'm not I'm not really into the leadership books. I no. never have been. I, I totally understand what you're saying. But you're right, the Bible has provided you framework to live yes. within. Now I would say too though. The books I love to read are biographies. So I learn a ton about leadership, more like I'm not reading it for leadership, but I I was very impacted by William Wilberforce, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, and their lives. And so you you see things in their lives, and then it impacts who you want to become and then who you become. So I've learned leadership through those books, but they're not they're not leadership books per se. Yeah. They're just books about people who made an impact. And we're defined by certain things. I relate most to people who have been in leadership positions, or even they haven't, maybe informal leadership positions, that are willing to tell the stories about when they totally screwed up. Right. I love that. Right. I think that's something that more people need to understand and, and, and give it a try and just be yeah. open about. Yeah. You made a mistake. It's okay to make mistakes, and that's right. how we all get better. Right. Um, and again, you've said that several times here today, you know, little things that you could have improved upon yeah. uh, to make yourself better. What is something that's on the horizon for you that you're trying to maybe work on and get better at? Um, that's a great question. So, well, I'm trying to make this this district better, but you're asking for myself. Yeah, you personally. Um, okay, definitely. I want to be more patient, more gracious with my wife and kids. I can come home... And be, you know, it's not even, I'm not, I'm not even consciously thinking about it, but there's something that happened throughout the day that's, that's kind of burning me up and I come home and then I'm, I'm consumed by that or, you know, my daughter needs something and I, I'm a little short. Um, and so I just, I just think that transition of leaving the office at the end of the day, 
that and I don't I, and the thing is, I mean, I love my quick commute, but I almost would benefit more from like an hour commute to where I could kind of unwind. That's something I, I'm I'm really striving in my home life to be a better husband and father because I do fall short of that all the time. Yeah, it's, that's a great um, that's a phenomenal thing to be working on. But you're right. I have about a 35, 40 minute commute. Yeah, I, I don't mind it. No, I know. I really don't. Yeah. It kind of breaks up the day a little bit. Yeah. I, I turn on the podcast, listen to some things. Yeah, I need time to downshift. And I'm still in like overdrive by the time I pull in my driveway. <laughs> and I come barreling through the door and, you know, I'm I'm like a zombie because my wife's trying to talk to me. I'm, I'm, I can't even hear anything. I'm thinking about an email I just read eight minutes before. Absolutely. So, yeah. I'm going to give you a book before, uh, I don't have it with me, but I'll give it to Abby to give to you. It's called Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement, mm-hmm. but it applies to- Yeah, that'd be great. Any, uh, and it, it, you're just bringing out points of, you know, just having your brain turned on and, and all this book does is, is it puts names to things, which is helpful for me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm experiencing this. I didn't know it was called that. And it just gives, uh, not that you have a problem, but sometimes it's nice to- educate yourself on like right. what, what's actually going on in my brain why am i right always turned yeah. on all the time so yeah let me ask you this and this is what i ask all my guests when we we're starting to wind down what do you want people to take away from our conversation today that's a great question um <clears throat> i think i think and not that we talked about this much but i think something to take away would be we all you know, I think it, it indirectly relates to the fact that we need we need input. We don't have it all figured out. Humility and having letting other people speak into a situation. So just, I think we're all gifted in various ways. Like if the whole district was me, just replicated, we'd be in bad shape. Or if it was this teacher, replicated, we'd be in bad shape. Kind of the diversity of everybody's strengths and weaknesses is very complementary. And it blesses an organization, it blesses a family, it blesses whatever the group is. So I think wherever somebody is, they they are to, to seek to become the best follower they can. And by follower, I don't mean just a yes, yes man, yes woman, but to follow as best they can and learn from those who, who they are to work with and who supervise them and become the best leader they can for those who they lead. And everybody's going to do leadership in every role that they're in, no matter what, I mean, and no matter what capacity it's in, Absolutely. if that makes sense. No, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And we're all wired differently. We all bring those gifts to the organization. What's your gift? So I don't know. That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hard to articulate it sometimes, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, all right. I think one thing is, uh, you know, if I believe in something, I go for it. I think that's something that I'm not fake. I'm, I can't fake anything. So uh, authenticity. Yeah. That would be that would be something I, I think that's a gift. Yeah, absolutely. Just in, just in our short uh, interaction here today, I think um, you're a great communicator. You're very effective at communicating, and you are definitely authentic. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're putting on a show here at no. all. I think this is exactly who you are. Yeah. And I think you're very good at multitasking. I think that's something that you've really honed over the years. Yeah, I hope. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What's on the horizon for you? I don't know. I'm just taking it a day at a time. I love being here. Um, Just trying to grow in what I'm doing, trying to be faithful with what I've been given. 
trying to be the best superintendent I can be, not trying to be like this person down the road at a different district or that person, trying to look at how I've been wired and trying to to do the best I can for our teachers and our kids and our community. Um, And also trying to work as best I can with our administrators who've been phenomenal and our teachers who've done a ton this year to make all this work. So just trying to trying to do everything I can do for for the whole organization to thrive. Great. I say we end it there. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having Rob. me. All right, man. Take yeah. care. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to episode number seven with Rob Miles. I really am glad I had him on because it's really nice to get a different perspective on things. You know, you wouldn't think there'd be that many similarities between leadership and policing and education, but there really are. And I think you heard that. Staying humble, being approachable, being able to communicate, building relationships, and just being authentic. Those are some of the main takeaways that I had. So I hope everyone enjoyed. And as always, don't forget, if you learn something, share something.